Let's pray together. Oh God, You heard our prayer. We've just prayed it to You. Purified, refined, that we might be holy for You, holy for Jesus, that we might do His will. Oh God, in today's teaching, please let Your will be clear to us We all pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin today with a small print. We've seen enough ads, listened to enough advertisements on the radio to know that Madison Avenue often now, when it is pushing some grand product, is required at the end of the commercial, at the end of the ad, in small print, the FTC, that would be the Federal Trade Commission, decrees that you must issue in that same ad all the disclaimers, all the warnings, all the exceptions to what uh, the company has just uh, promoted. And you know, if if you're listening on the radio, they have these announcers... He or she, who at that moment, the voice moves into Mach 2, twice the speed of sound, which of course is intentional so that you won't hear a thing with those 20 legal loopholes that pretty much dissolve the entire ad. I want to begin today, not not put this at the ending, I want to put the small print right here at the beginning because there is a small print warning to what we are about to share. I have observed that the subject for our contemplation this morning in this university congregation comes from what is arguably the most sensitive sector within our Christian Adventist community of faith. Why? Because diet is a red-hot Hot potato, that's why. And nothing stirs up a judgmental spirit more aggressively than diet. Which is why skinny people can get to judging heavy people. And why vegetarians can get to judging carnivores. And why no dessert vegetarians can get to judging dessert vegetarians. And why no dessert and in-between meals vegetarians can get to judging dessert, and in-between meal vegetarians, and why vegans pretty much judge us all. <laughs> just, just kidding, just kidding. Which is why when we, when, when we come to diet, when we come to diet, we must heed the small print warning that a grand and great Christian named Paul scribbled right into his manuscript, only it's not small print. This small print is in huge letters. Before we take another step, open your Bible, please, to the small print warning for this subject of diet. And it's found in the epistle to the Romans, Romans chapter 14. We're going to put the small print first. No disclaimers at the end. It all comes at the beginning. Romans chapter 14, please. I'll be reading in the New Living Translation today for all our texts. Any, whatever translation you brought along is fine. This is Romans 14, verse 1. Accept 
accept Christians who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. Verse 2, for instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer who has a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Verse 3, those who think it is all right to eat anything must not look down on those who won't, and those who won't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Verse 4, who are you to condemn God's servants? They are responsible to the Lord, so let Him tell them whether they are right or wrong. The Lord's power will help them do as they should. With that small print warning in mind, and by the way, Paul may flag us away from diet. Don't judge in the area of diet. But Jesus will come along in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7 and He will wave us away from all judging, period. Do not judge. Do not judge or you will be judged. Alright, so with that little small print warning tucked away, let's plunge into this red-hot subject that is critical for the John the Baptist generation. Now open your Bible to the Gospel of St. Matthew. Oh, we've been, we've been to John the Baptist. This will be our four, fourth, fourth Sabbath in John the Baptist. Let's see, we've been to Luke and we've been to Mark. Today we go to the Gospel of St. Matthew. And to wrap up this mini-series next Sabbath, the Gospel of St. John. Let's go to Matthew. Matthew chapter, four, chapter 3, rather. Matthew 3. Matthew 3. Another vignette. From the Gospels for the life of John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 3. We'll pick it up right at the top. Those of you watching on television, you'll be getting the New Living Translation on the screen. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist began preaching in the Judean wilderness. His message was, verse 2, Turn from your sins and turn to God. That would be the word repent. Turn from your sins and turn to God because the kingdom of heaven is near. Verse 3, Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, His voice, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the pathway for the Lord's coming. Make a straight road for him. And now verse 4, John's clothes were woven from camel hair and he wore a leather belt. His food, his food was locusts and wild honey. Did you catch that wilderness diet of John the Baptist? His food was locusts and wild honey. I mean, can you imagine somebody trying to sell that diet to America today? I tell you what, as gullible as the American public is, I, I, I predict they would buy it. Locusts and honey, I'll eat it. Somebody who saw the sermon title last week sent me an email and noted, because we're going to be dealing with locusts and honey, with this observation that actually such a menu would fit into the Atkin diet... Of high protein, that would be locusts, and unrefined sugar, that would be honey. Well, we'll see about Atkins in just a moment. Locusts and honey. Honey we understand, but what, what, what are these locusts? Actually, you need to know that there is quite a scholarly debate over just what these locusts were that John imbibed upon. The Greek word, put it on the screen for you, akrides. Elsewhere in Scripture and also in contemporary Greek literature always refers to the, to the insect. The, you know, the boing, 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 the, gra the grasshopper, the locust. 
And you need to also know that locusts have been part of the diet of the peoples in the Middle East from ancient times. In fact, get this, if you would read God's dietary menu in Leviticus chapter 11, you will discover that certain locusts were defined by God as fit for human consumption. I know what you're thinking, oh great, you mean John the Baptist was munching on little Jiminy Cricket grasshoppers for his diet? Well, one could draw that conclusion from the text. However, and this is a huge however, listen through this please, the Bible commentary in in a four-page essay with double columns, by the way, the Bible commentary on this matter deals with Eight lengthy but persuasive reasons why the early church fathers and many contemporary scholars have concluded that, in fact, locus here refers to the serotonia siliqua, the keratonia siliqua. That's the Latin scientific name for the carob tree. In fact, those of you from Germany and those of you that speak English, in English and German, that tree is still referred to as St. John's bread. Yeah. The carob pod in Arabic today is still called the locust because of its horn-like protrusions, which is why the Greeks still refer to the carob pods as little horns, just like the horned locust. Eight historical convincing arguments. I haven't shared them with you. Just a smattering in that brief breath. But adding to those eight arguments, let me, let me submit... A sentence from a century ago suggesting that this is indeed the carob fruit. A century ago, these words were written. Take a look at them. John's diet, purely vegetable, of locusts and wild honey, was a rebuke to the indulgence of appetite and the gluttony that everywhere prevailed. So, a vegetarian diet of carob pods and wild honey. Now, what is up with that? Enter now, please, some of the most recent study that has been done regarding the American diet and our national mortality. I hold it right here in my hands. Brand new book, copyright this year. A book written by Joel Furman, M.D. He is a board-certified family physician who specializes in preventing and reversing disease through nutritional and natural methods. Title of the book, you can see it there, Eat to Live. I heartily recommend this book to you. I'm grateful to my friend and colleague, Skip McCarty, who loaned me his copy of this brand new book. Now, Dr. Furman's fascinating, troubling conclusions can be best summed up Summarized in two graphs that he uh, enters into his, his uh, research report. Let's put graph number one on the screen, please. This is a graph. Take, take a careful look at this. This is the U.S. food consumption by calories, okay? We as Americans, what percentage of our diet goes to this, that, and the other? You see the legend? Let's take the largest segment, that almost maroon segment. 51% of, the American, of our caloric intake of the American diet, comes from refined, you see that, refined and processed foods. These would include breads, pastas, cakes, cookies, chips, candies, pizzas, donuts, fast foods, pastries, foods created by the mixing of flour, sugar, and oil. In other words, everything you like is in that first uh, category. You got that? Yeah. 51% of the American diet. Now, not too far behind. 42, keep looking at the graph, 42% of our caloric intake 
is because we consume foods that are dairy and animal foods. These would include meat, fish, milk, eggs, butters, sour cream, cheeses, pizzas and nachos, ice creams, milk, chocolates, and everything else university students live on. All right, so that's 42% of the American diet. There's only one segment left. Look at that little sliver of a pie. 7% is devoted in the American diet to fruits and vegetables. These would include fiber-rich fresh fruits, leafy plants, garden field vegetables, beans, whole grains, raw nuts and seeds. And by the way, even that number is higher, looks higher than it really is. Put on the words of Dr. Furman, please. Almost half of all vegetables consumed are potatoes. And half the potatoes consumed are in the form of fries or chips. Look at that. Furthermore, oh my, we shouldn't have started on this. Furthermore, potatoes are one of the least nutritious vegetables. The same studies that show the anti-cancer effects of green leafy vegetables and fruits and beans suggest that potato-heavy diets are not healthy and show a positive association with colon cancer. Now, hold on. Excluding potatoes, Americans consume a mere 5% of their calories from fruits, vegetables, and legumes, end quote. Not exactly a diet to write home about, now is it? We're being killed by the small print, that's why. Leading Dr. Furman to conclude... Read along with me. From convenience foods to fast food restaurants, our fast-paced society has divorced itself from healthful eating. The result is that we are sicker than ever and our medical costs are skyrocketing out of control. I insist that our low consumption of unrefined plant food is largely responsible for our dismal mortality statistics. Most of us perish prematurely as a result of dietary folly. If that graph doesn't make a believer out of you, I promise you the second graph will. Let's put graph number two on the screen, please. This is charting 12 nations and their relationship to the killer diseases of heart disease and cancer. Okay, the top two killers, heart disease, stroke, and cancer. Unrefined plant food consumption. Now, here's how to read this graph. It doesn't take rocket science. You can just, just look at that. The dark blue, okay, the dark blue is the consumption of vegetables, fruits, and leafy greens, all right? The light blue is the death rate from heart disease and cancer. It starts on this side with Hungary. Right after Hungary is the U.S. of A., all right? Notice what happens. Look at that graph. Note carefully that as the consumption of fruits and vegetables increases... The national mortality rates for these killer diseases dramatically decreases. Do you, do you see what's happening there, folks? It's going in the opposite direction, right? The more vegetables they eat, the lower, until you get Laos, Thailand and Laos at the very end. Look at that. Leading Dr. Furman to conclude. Let's put Dr. Furman back up on the screen. Based on an exhaustive look at research data... From around the world over the past 15 years, my recommendation, all right, here is this specialist now. My recommendation is that your diet should contain over 90% of calories from unrefined plant food. Hold on. This high percentage of nutrient-dense plant foods in the diet allows us to predict freedom from cancer, 
heart attacks, diabetes, and excess body weight. Fruits, vegetables, and beans must be the base of your food pyramid. Otherwise, you'll be in a heap of trouble down the road. Whoa. Ladies and gentlemen, you simply cannot argue against the evidence. You say evidence for what? Compelling evidence showing that the, the, the divine diet given to the human race in the beginning at creation still remains the most successful prescription and predictor for human longevity and optimum health. God has had it right from the beginning. We're the ones in the end that don't have it right. You say, oh, come on, Dwight, Pastor, please. I am a vegetarian. I am fine, thank you. All right, Mr. Miss, Miss Vegetarian, let me ask you a question. How much animal product, how many animal products do you consume? You know, milk, cheese, ice cream, butter, sour cream. Aren't, aren't those all, come on, aren't, aren't those all animal products? Oh, yes, they are. Listen to Dr. Joel Furman. Let me repeat this again to be clear. Following a strict vegetarian diet is not as important as, as eating a diet rich in fruits and vegetables. A vegetarian whose diet is mainly... What you are about to read is the typical Adventist diet, alright? A vegetarian whose diet is mainly refined grains, cold breakfast cereals, processed health food store products, vegetarian fast foods, oh how careful I am, white rice and pasta will be worse off than a person who eats a little chicken or eggs, for example, but consumes a large amount of fruits, vegetables and beans, end quote. He has just described, ladies and gentlemen, the typical Adventist diet. Correction. He has just described the typical Adventist potluck. Oh, no. Oh, no. No, 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 no. We do not eat meat. But instead, to make up for it, we consume inordinate amounts of Animal dairy products, vegetar vegetarian fast foods, refined sugar desserts. In fact, hit the pause button right there. Dr. Furman has, has analyzed the sugar consumption in this nation. The national average right now of added sugar. Okay, that's not the lactose, fructose that's, uh, that's already in. All right. 32 teaspoons a day is being added to the average American's diet. I want to talk about the kids that live on this campus. You know those 12-ounce cans that you get in the dispenser down in the basement of the dorm? 12-ounce cans? Nine teaspoons of sugar in one 12-ounce can. You know, you know what they're discovering? Teenage girls, we have a few. Teenage girls now, because they now no longer drink milk and no longer drink water but consume pop, are setting themselves for an early onset of osteoporosis. What's going on here? Oh, we just love it. We don't eat meat. We eat inordinate amounts of animal dairy products, vegetarian fast foods, refined sugar desserts, processed health foods, salty fake meats, refined bread and fiberless pasta. And many of us, if we were honest, many of us will have to admit 
that cheese has become our staple. It is the Adventist meat. Cheese. Don't take my word for it. Dr. Furman, would you speak again to us, please? Cheese has more saturated fat and more hormone-containing and hormone-promoting substances than any other food. And the incidence of our hormonally sensitive cancers has skyrocketed, leading Dr. Furman to conclude, cheese, get this please, cheese is one of the most dangerous foods in the world to consume. Though it tastes good, it should be used very rarely, if at all. Ladies and gentlemen, look it. I'm stepping on my own toes like crazy here. I know, I know. But you know what? This is the point. We have for too long hidden behind our vegetarian front. Hey, I'm a vegetarian. The problem is our vegetarian front is extending further and further and further. The time has come for us to prayerfully consider the implications of the relaxed vegetarian diet that we have corporately embraced. Furman, who notes Seventh-day Adventists, their diet and their, their, their choice of health priority, Furman writes, take a look at this. Remember now, long-term vegan, and these words are his to explain vegans, Strict vegetarians, remember, long-term vegans, strict vegetarians who consume no dairy or other foods of animal origin almost never get heart attacks. He then cites William Castelli, M.D., director of the famed Framingham Heart Study in Massachusetts. All right? Now, this is Dr. Castelli. We tend to scoff at vegetarians. He means vegans. But they're doing much better than we are. Vegans have cholesterol levels so low, they almost never get heart attacks. Their average blood cholesterol is about 125. And we have never seen anyone in the Framingham study have a heart attack with a level below 150. End quote. Now, here comes Furman again. The research shows that those who avoid meat and dairy have lower rates of heart disease, cancer, high blood pressure, diabetes, and obesity. The data is conclusive. Vegetarians live longer in America, probably a lot longer. End quote. Why is it that vegans live so long? It's interesting. This is, this is amazing. Dr. Furman goes to the 1984 California Seventh-day Adventist study. Remember, they studied back in 1984. And by the way, I need to just put, insert this. You, do you know that they are, doing, they are repeating the study now, only it is now continent-wide? Many of you have already filled out the form. This allows me to give a plug to those of you who are here and those of you watching. You can contact, you can contact Loma Linda and become a part of what will be an epical study, I believe. You'll get the form. You'll fill out the form. Anonymous, anonymous. You send the form back in. They'll tabulate the results. You can get these at, our, at any greeting station as you leave today. Pick up one of these. I'm a little slow myself. I'm going to send off for mine. We need to get the, the research done. Citing the California 1984 study, here is, here is his conclusion. Based on Adventists in California. Put it on the screen. Leafy greens... The most nutrient-rich foods on the planet were the best predictor of extreme longevity. It is the large quantity of unrefined plant food that grants the greatest protection against developing serious disease. 
Oh, well, I want to tell you something, Pastor. I'm still young and I got time. Listen carefully. Young adult at Andrews University and parents and parents of young children. Furman cites studies that, that now show that the reproductive cancers, that would be prostate cancer, that would be breast cancer. These cancers, I'm quoting him now, are strongly influenced by how we eat earlier in life, especially right before and after puberty. Come of age reproductively right there, right there. The diet is making a significant impact on how health will turn out years down the road. Which is why it is so vital for our university students and young parents to take seriously the skyrocketing evidence for a diet dominantly consisting of fruits, vegetables, beans, and grains. One last word from Dr. Furman. Let's put him on the screen. He writes, The diseases that afflict and eventually kill almost all Americans can be avoided you can live a high-quality, disease-free life and remain physically active and healthy. You can die peacefully and uneventfully at an old age as nature intended to achieve the results in preventing and reversing disease and attaining permanent, healthy body weight. We must be concerned with the nutritional quality, emphasis his, the nutritional quality of our diet, end quote. So what does that have to do with the John the Baptist generation? I want to tell you something. It has everything to do with the John the Baptist generation. You know why? Because for the John the Baptist generation, what we eat and drink is truly a mortal and moral issue. Diet is a moral issue. I want to close by giving you two reasons why diet for you and for me is a moral issue. Reason number one, our diet concerns God's call to holiness. I am God's temple. Open your Bible, please, once again to the Holy Scripture. Open your Bible, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Take a look at this. We'll pick it up in, uh, let's pick it up in verse 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body which belongs to Christ and join it to a prostitute? Never, Paul exclaims. And don't you know that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the Scriptures say the two are united into one, verse 17. But the person who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with Him. Now watch verse 18. So, run away from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Verse 19. Or don't you know? That your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I were bought with a high price. What was the price? The last coagulating drop of Christ's blood was the crimson currency that bought us back. Somebody has bought our bodies. Have you been following this just, just this sad, sad, tragic story coming out of Seattle? The Green River Killer. 
38 women he killed. 38 prostitutes. And they had him read a statement in court this last week. I did it because I didn't want to pay for having used their bodies. Let me tell you something. There's someone in this universe who paid, paid to have access to your body. Your body. My body. I bought you with a price. See these scars? I bought you. You are not your own anymore. You belong to me. I am God's temple. You know what Jesus is saying at Calvary? I holy. I gave myself holy for you. Now you give yourself holy. Holy for me. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you, worship team, for some, some stirring praise line I'm focusing on holiness. What is holiness? It's right there. You give yourself holy back to the one who has already given everything for you. Your body is mine. I own it on a Saturday night. I own it on a Monday night when you're studying late. I own it on a Wednesday night when you're pulling an all-nighter. I own your body. I bought you with a price. You are wholly mine. As I have been wholly yours. Which is why Paul exclaims, by the way, well, let's, let's just look this up. You've got to see it in your own Bible. Romans, just a few pages back. Romans chapter 12. Just the, the first two verses, please. Romans chapter 12. Because the body has been bought... That's why you have Romans 12, verse 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them, your bodies, be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will accept. When you think of what He has done for you, is this too much to ask? Verse 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know what God wants you to do, and you will know how good and pleasing and Perfect. His will really is. I'm telling you what, ladies and gentlemen, when God says you are designed to operate at an optimum efficiency with this diet, He isn't trying to be a party pooper, party pooper. He's trying to ensure that you and I can live on the cutting edge of human existence. Perfect will. How pleasing, Paul says. You cannot allow your appetite to rule you with abandon. What goes in your mouth and how frequently it goes into your mouth is a moral issue. It is. Which is why 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, Paul says, Look at whether I eat or whether I drink or whatever I do, I do all to the glory of God. All right, two reasons. I want to end with the second reason. Two reasons why diet is a moral issue. Reason number one, our diet concerns God's call to holiness. I am God's temple. Reason number two, our diet concerns God's call to readiness. I am God's witness. See? Just as He did with John, God is calling for the John the Baptist generation to become fitted for His strategic, get ready world for the soon coming Messiah mission. That's our mission. Our minds, our bodies need to be in optimal condition and constant availability. I tell you why. I tell you what. uh, That is the reason why this generation cannot afford to be found sluggish, half dead, inebriated, mentally distracted by physical, preventable dysfunctions and diseases. What is disease? It's a disease. I'm no longer at ease. I need you, God says. I need you. To go for me now. But if like the great cross-section of America, 
Because of our diet, we are physically debilitated and mentally dysfunctional or spiritually dying. To what generation is God supposed to turn to? Shall He have to wait for the next generation? He does not have to wait. I believe the next generation is here and now. And you're it. You don't have to wait. You don't have to make those graphs extend. You don't have to drive the bars higher. Well, we'll wait till our children come along. They'll, no, you are it. You are the generation. The John the Baptist generation. What did the angel Gabriel tell Zechariah, the father of John? Remember these words? Luke one seventeen. to make ready. That's his mission. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I need, you to, I, need, I need you to just lock in now. I need you to think through this last moment with me. It is precisely that readiness that makes our diets a deeply moral issue. Now remember, come on, small print. We are not being called to judge one another. Each of of us must answer to God for himself, for herself. But ladies and gentlemen, we are going to have to confront our own carelessness with diet and our inability to control our own appetites. And by the way, that goes all the way to the top of the world church's leadership. And all the way down to you and me. Nobody gets a pass. Because of a position in the church, everyone is called. An out-of-control diet is truly and deeply a moral and spiritual issue. You know why? Because I robbed God. God says, man, you had, do you know, you had five more years on that rubber. You burned your wheels these last five. Do you know what I wanted to do in your life? You burned yourself out. If I take from God what is what He has invested in me and I squander it, robbery is a moral issue, is it not? It is a moral issue. Remember the small print. The only diet you must answer for is your own. The only appetite you must control is your own. Just like John. Locust and honey. Lean. Natural diet. Let me end with this quotation. Desire of ages. Take a look at this. Desire of ages. In preparing the way for Christ's first advent, John was a representative of those who are to prepare a people for our Lord's second coming. Now, this is back in John's day. No, this is today. The world is given to self-indulgence. Errors and fables abound. Let me hit the pause button right there. I know you watch advertisements like I do. You've seen them. Does it not amaze you at how blatant the American food industry is in appealing to our basest appetites? So that you have ads now, fast food ads. We are now open to one o'clock in the morning. The bell still rings for you. One o'clock in the morning. Come on in and buy that food. You've just watched late night TV. Have a little snack before you go to bed because you know why? Then your stomach will never get to rest. Your stomach will be working 24-7 and you will die young and no longer be a problem for me. So eat to your heart's content. It is so blatant in the American food industry. You want to talk about American pharmaceuticals? This one really gets me. Have you seen these ads? Yeah. The ads say, having a, little, having a little reflux action with the food you love? Well, now we've got a drug that if you will swallow this before you eat that food, you can, you can go on consuming 
what has caused that gas, let's just call it by its right name, what has caused that gas in the first place. Eat to your heart's content. Swallow the pill and we'll help you live. Because we know, though they don't know, someone else knows that if I can keep American Adventists eating and eating and eating, I don't eat meat, not a big problem for me. Eating and eating and eating. Then I'll take an entire generation down early. Gone. Adios. Next. In preparing the way for Christ's first advent, John was a representative of those who are to prepare a people for our Lord's second coming. The world is given to self-indulgence. Errors and fables abound. Satan's snares for destroying souls are multiplied. All who would perfect holiness. Reason number one, moral reason number one for diet. All who would perfect holiness in the fear of God must learn the lessons of temperance and self-control. The appetites and passions must be held in subjection to the higher powers of the mind. This self-discipline is essential to that mental strength and spiritual insight which will enable us to understand and to practice the sacred truths of God's Word. One sentence more for this reason. Temperance. You know what temperance is? It's self-control. It's controlling your appetite. That's what temperance is. For this reason, controlling your appetite finds its place in the work of moral reason number two, preparation, readiness. Holiness and readiness. Preparation for Christ's second coming. Just like John. No, 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 no. No. Just like Jesus. Who in the face of a searing, almost over Towering temptation for his appetite. After 40 days and night of no food, is faced by the same tempter who comes to you, the same tempter who begs you to eat, the same tempter who says, please take it, drink it, eat it. You've got to have it now. Don't worry. Just take it now. The same tempter came to Christ. And what did Jesus say? In the face of that tempter, what did He say? It is written, one does not live by the power of appetite alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And what is the word out of the mouth of God? Your body. Boy, that body belongs to me. Woman, your body belongs to me. Your diet is my concern. Obey me, and I will prepare you for my imminent return. Obey me. Wouldn't you know it? Can you believe this? Look at this. Right on time, Newsweek magazine, the current issue, a few days in advance. In fact, cover story, can you see it? God and health. What's the big deal? I'll tell you what it is. Because even science now entertains the notion that God is very much wrapped up in human health. But here's the question. Will you let Him... Come on, come on. Will you let Him be wrapped up in your health? Hmm? Will you? We have some dietary choices to make as a people in this community right here. They need to be informed choices. I understand that. And for that reason, I've invited one of the most contagious, I'm telling you, hands down, one of the most cheerful, winsome advocates of God's optimum diet I have ever met. I've asked her. I said, Evelyn Kissinger Cole. Professor at Andrews University, would you please come on Wednesday night to House of Prayer? 
Because I can introduce the subject, but I can't finish it. You have the smarts to tell us how to live. And so Evie's going to be here this Wednesday night, 7 o'clock sharp. Don't come late. 7 o'clock sharp. She's going to lecture to us. Because we need to know. It has to be an informed choice. I understand that. You don't, you, you'll never take a preacher's word for it. I know that. So let's have someone tell us who knows. And by the way, Wednesday night, I'll give you the complete study guide with all the quotations and the graphs to our study this morning. Come Wednesday night, 7 o'clock right here at the House of Prayer. We have choices to make as a people. They need to be informed choices, but ladies and gentlemen, they must no longer be deferred choices. We have got to start deciding about our diets now. Not mañana. Not mañana. Now, we have to start deciding. Remember that story we shared just a few days ago, a few weeks ago? story about that schoolboy who was late to the school bus. You remember that? He's late to the school bus. He comes racing up. The bus disappears. man standing in the shadow said, Oh, sorry, son. Looks like he didn't run fast enough. To which the boy, you remember, shot back to him. Oh, no, sir. I ran fast enough. I just didn't start soon enough. You remember that? Ladies and gentlemen, may I say that when it comes to our health and diet, starting soon enough can mean the difference between life and death, physically and spiritually. So what do you say? We start right now, you and me together. I want to make an appeal. Would you like to join me? Uninformed, I understand, uninformed, I need more information. Would you like to join me in committing to a journey that will seek to be informed so that we might live as Christ would have us live and make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I'm going to ask you to do something. If you're willing to join me, this is not for everybody perhaps, if you're willing to join me, I'm going to put you on the spot. Would you be willing to stand? And by standing, saying to your husband, saying to your wife, saying to your roommate, saying to your friends, by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to find how to live the best I can live for His honor. Hmm? Now, come on. You're not sending me any signal here. We really need to be serious about this. And I believe that the God who introduces us to His Word is the God who will teach us how to live that Word. And I think we have enough people in this community to equip this community to know how to be about our Father's other business. Holy Father, that's what we're praying, that You might keep us. You might keep us till Jesus comes. There's nothing in us. And oh God, we have fumbled and stumbled. All of us, we have. And we are lifted up by the grace of the One whose victory was sufficient for us at Calvary. No condemnation. Jesus says, come on now, let's go on. But you can leave some of this behind. What shall we leave behind? What shall we embrace for the journey before us? Holy Father, You must send the mighty third person of the Godhead to teach us. Use 
Use bright scientists. Use intelligent dietitians. We want to get it right when it comes to diet. We want to be at our best for you. And so, dear Father, our lives are in your hands. The bodies already belong to you. You bought us. We put our lives there as well again. And through the power of the enabling Christ, we determine that we shall intelligently with you walk into the next chapter that awaits us. Do your work in our midst for Jesus' glory. In His name, let all the people say, Amen.